The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome. This is Swartbox, the headlines. China's industrial profits dropped the most in eight months as the US-China trade war takes its toll, while President Trump says a phase one deal is near. We're in the final throes of a very important deal. I guess you could say one of the most important deals in trade ever. Strong results from Best Buy helped drive US stocks to fresh records, while discount retailer Dollar Tree blames tariffs for a cut to its outlook. In an exclusive interview with CNBC, the Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan says if the US wants more than 2% growth, the economy needs more than just monetary policy. If you want to grow faster, we need policies away from monetary policy. Monetary policy is not going to address this. If you, need, uh, you need infrastructure spending, you need uh, immigration reform, you need policies that improve education, mm-hmm. skills training. Uh, the European Parliament preparing to vote on Ursula von der Leyen's new commission with the UK's nominee absent from the list. Plus, a presidential pardon. President Trump jokes about impeachment as he continues a 30-year tradition, saving two lucky turkeys from the Thanksgiving dinner table. gibberish out there about warning signals in the markets and what various warning signals are flashing at the moment. Well, let me just take two of those down at the moment. One is uh, what the credit markets are telling us. And is there any warning there about tension in the credit market? Well, according to uh, the copy we've received, uh, credit default swaps and spreads of IG credit spreads are tightening aggressively to new lows, which means we're getting nothing from the credit markets, despite the fact that we remain incredibly elevated here. So the credit markets, which in the copy I was looking at, said they're normally a bit smarter than equity markets. There is zero warning about the elevated levels that we are on these markets. So that, again, showing a green signal for the markets to carry on as well. Also, the VIX as well. There are idiots out there who call it an index of fear. I've probably just upset 50% of you, but I'm going to go with it because why not? It's a a Wednesday morning. And the fact of the matter is it isn't an index affair. It's an insurance product. You buy premium or you buy the VIX. In fact, we've already put it up here. Thank you very much indeed. We buy this when we think we have fears about the market or we want to insure the gains we've had. But we don't, do we? Because we're greedy and we're struggling. And as we've seen from some of the activity amongst brokers this week, people are desperate for every dime, every basis point as well. So why on earth would you diminish your performance by taking out some form of insurance policy? That is their logic, not mine as well. And let's face it, rather than being some mythical bearing of what's going on in the market, it's just an insurance product. You buy a premium when you want a bit of protection or you think there's going to be a bit of volatility as well. And at the moment, none of you are buying this because the VIX is trading at multi-month lows. There is actually a technical reason of why it's trading multi-month lows because people work it out on a daily basis. And the fact is you're going to lose two days of trade pretty much uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday over next week. But that one's for the more geeky amongst you as well. Anyway, 11.54% of the volatility. That and the credit default swaps are telling you that people are not taking out insurance either in fixed income, investment grade, or in the equity market as well. Right, we have that off my chest. Let's have a look at the Asian markets. Uh, We have 
really quite calm markets. The ASX 200 gaining 1%, a little bit of gain on the Nikkei, but the mainland Chinese market, Shanghai Composite, trading flat. The Hang Seng trading flat as well. Opening calls for European markets look like this as well. We are called higher, and this is after yet more record highs, not only on the major indices, not only on the mid caps as well in the States, but also the likes of technology. What do you think technology has done this month? I know you know because you've been watching the show. It's up 5% already now. Really? It was 5% less than that a month ago, and you thought it was 5% undervalued when it was trading still up around about 40%. I mean, these are extraordinary gains. And as we heard from uh, Mark Phelps yesterday, people are making some serious money just by being long this market. What was he up this year so far? 34%. Anyway, lots and lots and lots of data we had yesterday. I think some of it was underwhelming. And yeah. lots and lots of data today. Would you like to know what we've got today? Uh, we have got GDP figures. We've got jobless claims. We've got durable goods. We've got Chicago PMIs. We've got home sales and personal income and spending. Data. Good morning to you all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just to tell you, Ginny Yan is here with us. We're going to talk China in some detail in just a moment. But I just wanted to pick up off the wall there because all that green. Yes. Interesting your comments, yes. but all that green. And I just wanted to do a little bit of a link thing here. Uh, Trump pardoned the turkeys, right? <laughs> butter and bread. Bread and butter. They were pardoned by Trump, and it's he a made a joke. Turkey, isn't it? He, I, 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 I vowed, I, I over. Bird. It's a handsome bird. If, if you it? say so, then I defer to you. <laughs> I wouldn't know Do a good-looking turkey. Do you not think that's a handsome turkey? Anyway, don't, don't, don't distract me and don't take me <laughs> off what I wanted to say, because I, basically I wanted to make the point that actually um, not everything is green. And if you looked at what happened yesterday in emerging markets, it does raise some interesting questions about how you have to think about the allocation of risk assets. Because there is this view that the dollar's topped out, and yet the dollar just continues to manage to nudge higher here. And that has consequences for emerging markets. And my, my pun here was don't be the turkey when it comes to this fourth quarter because there are going to be some asset classes that don't perform well even as we continue to see these US markets nudge a little bit higher and make new record highs and I think there are still some issues floating around that the markets need to focus on not least what is going on with China and Ginny will get onto that in just a second let me just read uh, President Trump on the China deal the president saying the US and China are close to striking a phase one trade deal the US leaders comments come after top American and Chinese negotiators held talks over the phone on Tuesday Trump also signaled Washington's support for pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong raising a potential sticking point with Beijing. We're with them. I have a very good relationship, as you know, with President Xi. We're in the final throes of a very important deal. I guess you could say one of the most important deals in trade ever. Uh, it's going very well, but at the same time, we want to see it go well in Hong Kong, and I think it will. I think that uh, President Xi can make that happen, and I know him, and uh, I know he'd like to make it happen. Well, China's industrial profit fell at its fastest pace in eight months in October, highlighting concerns of an economic slowdown and the impact of the trade war. Profits fell almost 10% in the month compared to 2018. It is the third consecutive month profits have contracted in China's industrial sector. Ginny Yan is chief China economist at ICBC Standard Bank and is with us uh, for the first 30 minutes of the program this morning. So, Ginny, just to, to bring that to you here, um, there is this issue with the dollar and concern that China doesn't have enough dollars at this point. How 
alarmed or otherwise or concerned should investors in emerging markets in China be at this stage as we see this, these weakening data trends and we get concerned about dollar liquidity? Clearly, markets are seeking some positive news, particularly since we've had, uh, as you said, very negative data. Um, and the outlook looks pretty gloomy, not just China, but most of the majors. Across EM, as you say, obviously liquidity. Now, for China, as we see, um, industrial profit, etc., what it really suggests is that China is in a phase of huge amounts of shifts. So the latest data, for example, told us not only are corporates pressured at the moment, particularly by producer price uh, deflation, in fact, uh, in that front. So profitability is dire. However, if you look at the details of that pro- um, uh, industrial profits data, you'll see different sectors, different industries are seeing a different picture. For example, tech industries are actually seeing growth in industrial profits. And what you see there is that research and development, etc., in certain sectors are actually um, you know, making a huge impact on certain industries. So going back to the question about liquidity and whether China has enough dollars, well, it depends on where you look at in China. People often look at China as a, you know, one country, but if you look at different provinces, different sectors, different industries in China, you see a very different picture. In aggregate, I wouldn't see, say that uh, you know China is lacking any dollars. In fact, quite the opposite, because I, I would say that uh, China is still very much flush with dollar liquidity. What China is trying to do is open up its capital uh, market and also to open up the um, currency market, of course. And China wants to see more and more RMB being used globally. But at the moment, as we can see, obviously, the um, seek for uh, safe haven assets, etc., is still um, meaning that uh, dollar liquidity matters. There's a lot of devil in the detail and just you know picking through those numbers when you see weakness in profitability, weakness in the industrial sector, the ongoing problems with the trade war. And then you read a line that industrial firms liabilities increased 4.9% from a year earlier versus 5.4% increase at the end of September, telling you that where is the challenge that uh, despite the fact these companies have a problem, they're not exactly piling up the debts. That's a good thing, isn't it? You see more rational uh, strategies from some of these industrial companies in China. Yeah, very interesting. And and it goes hand in hand with the shift of uh, industrial momentum. If you look at the tech companies, they are not debt financed, a lot of them. They don't go to the normal traditional sort of, um, uh, you know, credit uh, uh, support suppliers like the, the banks, the big banks. Um, so this kind of more dynamic raise, uh, raising of finance and also a more efficient use of capital is uh, very important and positive, I think. So it's, it's a good point, that one. Jenny, I'm very interested. Good morning, you, by the way. Good, uh, morning. Very interesting what you had to say about um, profitability of companies. I think you started by saying dire profitability mm. as well. One thing that we, um, obviously, we're all looking at the inputs, but we're looking at the wage inputs as well, the, the employee cost uh, inputs as well. And we know that, I don't, let's go from 2008 to 2017, wages grew um, aggressively, double digit. And, and that actually narrowed the terms of trade between them and the US actually, and, and the cost of production. Is wage growth still going at a double digit level? Is it trading at a sustainable level for both the employees and indeed for the economy? Interesting. Um, as you know, China is now more than 60% uh, contributed by consumption growth. So obviously, wage growth is hugely important when we're looking at consumption. Wage growth, well, actually, what's more um, important to look at is actually disposable income. Okay. Um, because when you look at wage growth, mainly what you're looking at is a wage growth that is accounted for. So mainly the SOEs, the big companies. Yeah. What you don't I'll see just is jump in on that because sector. you're looking at it from a domestic point of view. I was looking at it from an international point of view. 
hence the wage growth narrowed the terms of trade in terms of how much it costs per unit to produce something from Foxconn in China rather than let's say somewhere in California or whatever. So, so yeah. So, but the domestic point is the key here for you. Yes, absolutely. Domestic is the key. And why is China slowing? Not because you know, um, you know, we're facing a U.S.-China trade war, etc. That's not a direct impact on the economy. What's a direct impact is a slowdown of domestic consumption, and that has been seen, you know, in the um, a previous year or two, because we're seeing disposable income growth slower than actual GDP growth. So whilst most people are worrying about GDP growth, what we really be yeah. worrying about is income growth. And so in China. sorry to follow up on this. Given everything we've seen, dare I say, in Hong Kong, does that worry the uh, people running the economy more? Does it worry Xi Jinping and his um, his team more, and the government more? Because, of course, that creates social issues down the line. The key、um, priority for Xi Jinping and policymakers across China is stability. So anything that overthrows stability is going to be essentially a concern, and that includes、um, Hong Kong, U.S.-China situation. And this is why a Phase One deal is absolutely crucial.、Um, and people also aren't talking about the upcoming economic work meeting. This is the annual meeting where the policy tone for economic and finance is set for the next year. This is early December, and of course. Of course, that coincides with that 15th of December deadline. So I think that's why I think that the trade deal is imminent. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Thank you very much indeed for that. You're、Thank、going to stay you. with us for a little bit longer,、yes. I understand as well. So Hong Kong, as we just mentioned、um, in the news again, has reopened its Cross Harbour Tunnel, restoring one of the city's major transport links. The tunnel has been closed for two weeks amid ongoing anti-government protests in the city, specifically the week-long police siege of a nearby university campus. The occupation led to several days. Of violent clashes, but university officials today said there are no more demonstrators holed up on the campus. Two stocks to show you stateside.、Uh, Best Buy, one where you saw a big spike in the share price, 9.8 percent,、uh, and this was after a beat of analyst expectations on the quarterly numbers. The electronics retailer also raising its fiscal 2020 earnings forecast. But、uh, mixed fortunes, as you can see in the retail space,、uh, the Dollar Tree trade. 15% lower. This is after it missed on its third quarter. Also lowered its fourth quarter guidance. It blamed the trade war. So、uh, there's been a fairly significant、uh, sort of split, I guess, in how many investors see both of those. Well, let's get out to Courtney Rager, who has more on the U.S. consumer. Best Buy is riding momentum going into Black Friday. The consumer electronics retailer posted an 11th straight quarter of comparable sales growth, exceeding expectations. Best Buy also increased its earnings forecast for the year, which includes an improved outlook for the holiday season. Just last quarter, Best Buy was expecting a broader consumer spending slowdown as a result of higher prices from tariffs. But the consumer has held on. Economic data points remain fairly positive, and most retail groups expect holiday sales. Growth. CEO Corey Berry said there's more certainty in her forecast, and she's excited about the holiday season. I think Best Buy is positioned quite well, and the tariff worry does not seem to be as severe. You know, so I, I, I think we're past that. But really, the key here is you have a very healthy consumer. And that, that, so that bodes well for Best Buy in a category like consumer electronics. Best Buy's strongest categories this quarter were appliances, headphones, and tablets, while gaming and home theater were the weakest. Services sales like in-home advisor, total tech support, and technology geared towards senior living increased 13 percent over last year. Services is a great way for Best Buy to differentiate from online retailers or, or companies only selling products. 
You know, so to the extent that Best Buy sells individual services or more importantly, services attached with products, that's a real differentiator in this, in this shifting retail landscape. For the holiday season, Best Buy is offering free next day delivery without a minimum purchase or membership. It's also adding 175 pickup locations in New York City and Chicago at CVS and UPS stores. Best Buy knows consumer electronics are a key item for the holiday season at Rivals and executives said it's ready to compete. Courtney Reagan, CNBC Business News at the New York Stock Exchange. Thank you coming up, including Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan warns the U.S. economy is heading for a slowdown in the fourth quarter. Find out why after the break. And of course, it's a, it's a winner today. We've got Jeff, we've got Karen, we've got a little bit of me as well on the podcast, the Squawk Box podcast. And it's only, what, 16 minutes long so far. So I think we'll go a little bit longer on that one. Anyway, do not miss it. It's on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on CNBC.com. You never have to miss an episode. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back. The Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan has told CNBC he believes the central bank's cutting interest rate policy is the right is in the right place. Uh, Mr. Leesman, uh, Steve Leesman, has more from our exclusive interview. Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan in an exclusive CNBC interview expecting a weak fourth quarter, but says the U.S. economy should bounce back to 2% next year. 2% growth, he said, is about as good as it's going to get for the U.S. economy. If you want to grow faster, we need policies away from monetary policy. Monetary policy is not going to address this. It, you, need, uh, you need infrastructure spending. You need uh, immigration reform. You need policies that improve education, mm-hmm. skills training. Among the biggest risks Kaplan is monitoring is high corporate debt levels. His specific worry is the ballooning amount of triple B debt, the lowest investment grade. It's not like 0809 uh, because in that the problem with 0809 is the lenders were over leveraged. Right now we have an issue where the borrowers are highly leveraged, and uh, my concern is if you have a downturn where we grow more slowly, it means that this amount of debt could be a an amplifier. That amplification would make the existing downturn worse if it happens. On interest rates, Kaplan said rate cuts are over for now, saying, quote, for the time being, I think policy is in the right place. Steve Leisman, CNBC Business News. Uh, Let's go back to our conversation with Ginny Yan, chief China economist at ICBC Standard Bank. She says more generous easing policies are needed in China to tackle pressures rising from a slowdown. But the challenge is, Ginny, um, the rest of the world is looking at China as a source of fresh liquidity for the next up leg. And as we we look at the the data, um, I actually did did a bit of digging on this one. Four trillion yuan, I think, was the stimulus package we got in 08, which was enormous. 2015, again, we were worrying about global slowdown. Um, China announced 1.13 trillion yuan of stimulus. That's 185 billion US dollars. That's not small change. 
Is the government in a position this time round to provide similar levels of stimulus? I know that they've been active now in the international lending market with these um, raisings in dollars and euros. To what end? Are we being primed here for something more significant than just the repo market tweak or the triple R adjustments? Sure. I think in the new year, particularly in the next coming few quarters, we will see more liquidity, mainly because the slowdown currently is obviously impacting on sentiment. People are not consuming and investing as much as uh, uh, as, as they'd like because um, the, the real sentiment, the confidence in spending and investment is very low. So. The form of easing is very important. As you said, monetary policy has been relied on, but actually we need a lot more. Four trillion back in uh, post-financial crisis, actually it was more than that. It was more like 11 trillion based on our estimates because it was mainly the banks, uh, local governments, obviously, the multiply impact of bank lending and credit on the overall economy was huge. So, And the majority of that went into infrastructure building. Um, now this time around, things are different. First of all, we still have huge amounts of debt that uh, debt overhang that China has to deal with. Banks are still sitting on some of that debt. So clearly what we need uh, is a new form of stimulating the economy, I guess, rather than going back down the route of credit boosting. People like Carl Bass say it is impossible for China to both succeed with the transition to consumption-led growth and rein back the shadow banking system because the official banking system does not lend to small and medium-sized businesses or extend credit generously to the middle classes. So China does have a problem with the credit plumbing. Agree with that. Um, so the key here is that this is a transition. It's not an overnight switch towards consumption-led growth. So the transition means that whilst you're allowing the existing types of lending to go ahead, um, allowing the banks to digest the existing debt, you're also encouraging other forms of financing. That's what I talked about. Tech companies don't rely on the banks. And this is a new growth drivers in China. Um, so for example, in terms of stimulus, um, special bonds are, are being issued and huge amount of record quotas are now um, being issued still for infrastructure particularly local government infrastructure, and that would be the traditional types of credit. What about overseas capital? Because uh, there's been a move by the MSCI to further include more Chinese stocks, about 204 China A shares added to the MSCI. This at the same time where you've got US lawmakers pushing back uh, against Chinese investment exposure. How crucial is this type of capital to Chinese companies? And what response would Chinese authorities have if there were moves by US authorities to limit that overseas exposure. Absolutely. That in the equity market, also in the bond market, fixed income market, we've got the three global indices now looking to include China in the indices. And I think that's absolutely crucial. As Chinese firms start to go out, and obviously um, this is a crucial period, uh, particularly for the state-owned enterprises, to test whether they have the competitiveness of what it takes effectively to go abroad. So absolutely, they need all of that capital as much as they could get. But it's also a about learning how these um, corporates can mature, you know, facing international competition. A lot of corporates haven't had to, you know, um, compete with the likes of US or, or European companies up until now. But if you're going up the value curve towards higher end uh, manufacturing technology, you do have to compete with a giant. So that's the transition period that China's going just, through. Um, very interesting. We look at 
when we look at emerging markets, and Jeff made a really interesting point about the destiny of the dollar being very important for the rest mm. of the world. What about Chinese exposure to emerging markets yes. as well? Because we know that President Xi has a globalization mantra. We know that with One Belt and Road, they're investing stunningly large amounts of money on infrastructure projects and elsewhere around the rest of the emerging markets as yes. well. That makes them very, very exposed to some of those headwinds that Jeff was talking about, not just from a domestic point of view. Absolutely. Through the Belt and Road Initiative, China probably is having not only trade but capital investment and also people flows with um, close to 150 countries globally, mostly emerging economies, not only emerging economies, also developed economies. Now, the point of that is not only to boost infrastructure spending globally or investment, and of course, there are still very underinvested infrastructure projects out there. More back to the point of making sure that Chinese corporates can mature, SOEs need to mature. They're good at building infrastructure domestically. Can they do it internationally? So all the sort of negative press, can I they guess. Do it internationally on, profitably. Yes, exactly. And probably a lot of those aren't generating profits just now because they're 10-year, 20-year right. projects. Um, but what's interesting is that the types of projects are changing. Since the April right. summit um, in, uh, in Beijing, what we're seeing is a more renewable uh, projects. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.